Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, man, we're off to a wonderful retreat already. And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful again for, for Pastor Dan being with us. And I, I don't think he could possibly know just how perfect the word that God gave him was for us in the season that we're in. And uh, in, in the midst of the series in Jonah uh, that we've, we've had so far, it's, it's, uh, the sermons are, are fitting perfectly uh, with one another. And so hopefully they're... they're, they're you're finding how they fit within your heart as well. Um, the worship set was wonderful. Thank you, team. Um, I, I, I don't know if I can ever remember a worship set that, that fits the context of the message I'm about to preach any better than that did. And so I, I think God is at work, and uh, I hope that you see that. I want to say thanks to the Florida folks who drove throughout the night to be here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't hardly believe that you did it. Um, it blows my mind. Uh, but it is, um, it is an act of, of faithfulness, and I think that God will reward that. So I'm praying that he does. I'm praying that you leave here changed uh, because of that commitment. <clears throat> um, we are in Jonah. We're going, we're going hard in Jonah now. We... Week three, Sermon three, okay? So go ahead and turn there. Um, I love you guys. I'm excited about what God's doing. Uh, the reason that we're in Jonah, and we know in the middle of our Acts sermon uh, series, for those of you who are with us, uh, we stopped, uh, a, we, it had been one year in Acts that we were studying in Acts. And we hit pause at chapter 13. And, and the reason is because as you get into chapter 13 of Acts, what you see is uh, the early church beginning to do the work of missionaries in the world. And, um, and so before we got into that, I was beginning to think about Jonah, who was the missionary prophet. Uh, that's, that's how people refer to him, is as the missionary prophet of the minor prophets. And I saw, I saw uh, just a unique um, uh, connection there, a correlation there, and I began thinking about that. And in particularly in light of the season that Kaya finds themselves in, and I, so I can't speak for the other young adult ministries, but, but we're in a season where we're, we're headed into the school year, which is for us the most missions-oriented point, uh, part of the year. Okay, we've got a, a couple months, months of, of college under our belt this semester, and this is the part of the semester where we start building our, our very most meaningful relationships, and we're hot in the middle of doing the work of missions. Uh, not only that, we're in a season where we're preparing to start more Bible studies. We're being extended. We're seeing people sent out to be a part of church plants. And Kaya is coming into a place of what I would refer to as, as uh, the teenage years, right? And uh, there's serious growth happening, and we're coming into to real maturity. And, and we can measure that by the, by the number of missionaries that we're sending into schools and into communities and to other cities and across the world. That's how we'll be able to measure our maturity is the, the sustained sending out of people uh, to reach souls as, as missionaries. Okay. But with that, what we've seen in Kaya, and, and again, I don't know if this is true of other ministries, but we've seen a lot of attack, a lot of things coming up against the work of missions in our ministry. And it looks like a lot of different things. It looks like a lot of different things. And, and, and we talked about this, uh, uh, and we're going to talk about it here in a second, but we, we're in a place where if we're not careful, we are going to squander what God has given us. And I see that as a serious danger. And I, and I don't know if you, you know, I mean, some of you are, are young in your faith, but I, I want to tell you, when you're walking down a path with someone, um, arm in arm, and you believe and you're convinced that you are, you are in mission together, 
and you're moving forward in faith, and you believe that you're on the same page, and then suddenly that brother or sister is no longer locked arms with you, there are very few things on earth that are more devastating than that. And God forbid that happen in this ministry. And that is why we are in Jonah. Because we can't afford to have missionaries with aberrant thinking. We can't afford that. And so we've got to check our minds. And that's, that's why we are where we are uh, in Jonah right now. Um, now the book of Jonah we talked about is a book of rescue mission. Right? Do you remember me talking about this? Some of you might remember. It's a book of rescue missions. And we say to ourselves, when we think about Jonah, we say, oh yeah, God sent Jonah to go rescue the Ninevites. Yeah, I get it. That's the rescue mission. Right? Or we say to ourselves, oh God rescued Jonah from the storm. That, that was a rescue mission. Or we say, oh God res- rescued Jonah from the belly of the whale. There's a rescue there. We see the rescue. But the truth is the entire book is a rescue mission for the mind and hearts of Jonah. Chapter after chapter is not about the Ninevites. It's not about the whale. It's not about the gourd. It is about the relationship between a man and his God and God's fight to win back Jonah's heart and mind. And this is where we're at. Just like Jonah, the biggest struggles that we face as Christians are not physical dilemmas. They're not, they're not the storm. The storm is the agent of healing. Right? They're not the physical ones. They're the internal ones. Those are the biggest struggles that we fight. A, a war for where we let our thoughts and emotions take us. I mean, right now, and I, and I pray to God that, that through this sermon that you're not thinking about anyone else but you. Just consider yourself. What are the thoughts and the emotions that take you out of the will of God? What are the things that you just keep struggling with? That is our greatest warfare that we fight. Because if we can get that in in check, we are missionaries for life. We are resolved if we can get our heart and mind aligned with the Lord's. And so we've been examining the way we think. And so here's the point I want to make. We need a thought life, and you can go ahead, you might be able to scroll, I can't remember what's in this PowerPoint. And this is, this is what we talked about, this is what we learned last week, all of the best, in the last two weeks, all the best and worst moments of our faith begin with our thought life. They begin with our thought life. Here's another way of saying that. We need a thought life that will set us free to live the mission. That's what we need. Regardless of our external circumstances, the best Christian life looks like a healthy biblical thought life. Because faith comes out of that. And so let's look at Jonah chapter 1. Okay, and let's look to see what Jonah says. Let's pray real quick. Ask the Lord to be with us, to help me. I have a a lot to cover. I don't really know what I'm going to cover this morning and tomorrow morning. I'm not sure what I'm going to get to, but we pray that God will lead that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the power of the message last night. And I do know, and I do believe, and and I pray that others in this room believe that the calling on our life is sufficient to sustain us throughout the entirety of our life, that the moment of our salvation, the moment that you bestowed upon us the power of your Holy Spirit is no different than the moment when you laid the coal on on the lips of Isaiah. And from that moment, the moment of our salvation, we are forever in bondage to the calling of you, God, And anything outside of absolute obedience will lead to the most depressive, painful, apathetic, restless life that we can imagine. We belong to you, and outside of that, there is no peace. And so God, conform our heart, conform our mind, conform our vision to that of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might live within his will all of our days. Help us right now, Lord. Amen. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The first thing that we talked about is that we need freedom from selfish 
thinking. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. God extends to Jonah a very specific vision. I need you to go to this people group and preach. Preach their socks off. Warn them of the, of the impending wrath that's to come upon them if they do not repent from their sin. I'm calling you out, Jonah, and it's time to go. This doesn't look like the previous missions. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Let's go. Now, here's the deal. We're not given the insight immediately into why Jonah doesn't want any part of this. We find out later it's because he hates the Ninevites for how they perpetrated against the Jewish people in the previous years. Okay, He saw the Assyrians work wickedness against his people. And he hated, he hated the Ninevites for it. And so what he decided to do was to run. Now, what we discussed in the first few verses of Jonah is that God had a calling to him, on him to go to the Ninevites and preach a message of warning. And he refused because his will improperly usurped God's. His heart did not match the Lord's. He wasn't in agreement, So he chose selfishness over sacrifice. In other words, what he should have done is died to self and, and chosen to go regardless of how he thought or felt. And I've had a lot of conversations with folks about this recently. A lot of times our heart and our mind aren't in alignment with God. That does not give you the right to disobey him. And, and in fact, and what we'll learn throughout the, the whole of Jonah is that God's trying to teach Jonah that if he would simply obey, that he'll bring his heart and his mind along. The heart and the mind will follow. Obedience is necessary. When you, when you got saved, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you did become his slave. I, I mean, that doesn't sound real, like, politically correct, or it doesn't feel right. It seems very strange to say, but you are the slave of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and there's no better way to live. And so you don't have the right, regardless of how you feel or think, to disobey him. You don't have that right. And so in this series, what we've recognized is that we have, we have some prayers that we need to be praying for our lives. And I hope you've been writing these prayers down. Because these are the types of prayers that you pray throughout your life. Continually. And the very first prayer that we prayed was, Lord, set me free from selfish motives and mindsets that undermine your word. And I believe... Is that up there? I don't know if that was a slide or not. This is all still review. So. But, but the prayer we prayed was, Lord, set me free from selfish motives and mindsets. We all have them. What are yours? What are the motives that you have, the, 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 the desires of your life that tend to get in the way of you saying yes to the Lord? We have them. We all have them. Lord, set me free from those selfish motives that, 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 that get in the way of your calling on my life. And I think I have a feeling Dan's going to address some of that tonight with the passage that he showed us. Free us from escape in isolation. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish for the, uh, from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with uh, them unto Tarshish for the... Pre I have to say that word three times in that series of verses, and I really... I don't, I don't like it. Um, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So this is what we prayed. We prayed, set me free from the tendency to isolate and, and escape when things get hard or confusing. When things get hard or confusing. And, and I, actually, when I read this about escape and isolation, I have particular people in this room that I'm thinking of. Don't, pastor, don't you hate that when pastors seem to be talking about you? In this case, I am talking about you. You know who you are. Okay, I've got, I've, we've talked. I know, I know I'm thinking of you. There's some of us in this room who have an, a tendency to isolate ourselves when things get hard or confusing. We have a tendency to do that. That's what Jonah does here. When Jonah comes to a crossroads in his life, when he has a choice to continue down the path, or not, he escapes. He takes off. 
When we hit the threshold of what we think is reasonable or what we're capable of handling, it is common for us to either escape our situation by running away from what we know is right. Okay, and that might look like leaving church. Stop going to Bible study. Stop returning phone calls. We run away hoping to leave God's call in our past. We do that. Or we isolate ourselves with worldly distractions, school, work, entertainment, new friends. We burrow away and pretend like everything will just disappear. And we have things that set us into motion like that. You know, here's the beautiful thing, though, and I I want you to get this. I want you to write this down. We can't escape the will of God any more than we can escape the love of God. We cannot escape the will of God any more than we can escape the love of God. He loves you without condition. He pursued you. He won you. I mean, we, we all sang it together. I'm like, I'm like a tree bent by the winds of your mercy. Your love is hot upon me. It's the very flame of my heart. And we cannot escape his love for us. And we cannot escape his will for us. They both press in equally. And it's crucial for us to recognize that if we are to, uh, to live a, a life of love back towards Jesus Christ, that it will require living within his will. And when we're not, he'll send a storm. Any of you in a storm right now? You don't need to raise your hand. Just, just think for, your, for a second. Are you in the midst of that storm? That storm that God has brought into your life, that difficulty, that, 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 that intense calling to growth, to alignment. Are you in that place? So, verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. I, uh, I don't know, you guys, some of you guys know, I, was, um, I, I preached a retreat last weekend. Uh, and it was in the middle of the woods. I don't know if you remember, but it rained all last weekend. And I was, in, I was soaking wet in the storm for, for two and a half solid days, soaking wet. It was miserable. It was miserable. It was awful. It doesn't come near to what these men are facing. A great, God sends a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken in half. Does anybody get car sick? Did anybody get car sick on the way down here? Nothing compared to this. Right? Nothing compared to this. Now we talked about there being two types of storms. Do you remember what they are? Someone, can someone say what the two types of storms are? The storm of consequence. What's a storm of consequence? What is that? Okay, so, well that was easy, wasn't it? Huh. It's a consequence for your sin. Well, thanks for being so articulate. Yeah, but, but, but so when, when, just like Jonah here, he's in a storm of consequence. When you disobey God, because you belong to him, he's faithful to sending, send out that agent, that storm into your life, a storm of consequence to draw you back into alignment with him. It's a form of rebuke. That's what we talked about. It's a form of rebuke. Now, there's another type of storm. What's the other type of storm? Grace. There's a storm of grace. And the storm of grace is sent into your life to refine you and to grow you into exactly what God wants you to be for the next phase or mission of your life. And there are people in this room who are, who are experiencing both. In both cases, God is seeking to align our hearts and our mind with him that we might be used in his perfect mission. Okay? Okay? Anybody ever seen those videos where the dads are saving kids' lives? You know, the dad, like they come out every Father's Day, but they're like a series of like vines that have been brought together. Yeah? And it's like, you've seen this? You've seen this? And like the kids are swinging, 
and no one's paying attention and the kid flips off the swing and the dad's like. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Everybody's seen these, right? They're, they're great. I've, I retweet it every year on Father's Day, so just go look at my feet. They're amazing. Um, and you know, the thing that I recognize about that is that those dads in horrific situations seem to be completely calm and collected, right? There's a, a riding lawnmower coming down a hill, and there's a kid way over there, and they're like, And they save the kid's life, and it's like, nah. Now, I was thinking, like, why is that? Why, why, how is it that dads have such great instincts? And I, and I figured it out. Their heart is so towards their children that they've, from the moment their child was born, that they were thinking about how to protect that kid. Protection is written on their heart. It's instinctual. It's a part of who they are. They can't get away from it. You remember uh, Dan and Uriah and, and those of you with kids, Andrew, you, you, when, how you felt when you were driving that baby home for the first time, right, from the hospital? Okay, like just a couple days after the baby's born, they're like a ball wrapped in a chair in the back of your car, and, and you're just driving like 10 miles an hour to your house? It's the most fearful I've ever been driving. When it's just me, I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't care. But when my kids are in the car, it's like, right? There's a particular care or caution that you have, and that's instinctual. Now, now listen to me. You train that into the way that you think. It's trained into you. It's built in. You work towards that. You start practicing and aligning your mind in that way. The, the reason those videos fascinate us is because we ourselves are so bad at having stable thoughts in the midst of chaos. In the middle of chaos and confusion and pain and suffering, we don't have stability in our thought life. And so we're amazed that these dads are so quick to respond the right way. See, the dilemma is that for many of us, our spiritual survival is contingent on whether or not in the midst of storms, when emotional and mental turmoil ensues, will we have the disciplines in place to tie our minds and emotions to the anchor of Jesus Christ? You tie that anchor off every single day. And as you do that, when the storm comes, the instinct will be, God's mind is my mind. His will is my will. His emotions are my emotions. I am with Him. When the storm comes and the turmoil comes and the stretching comes, your instinct is going to be to press in more. And that is what we're lacking. And when we lack that, we will fail in the mission of God. Are you hearing me right now? So the next thing that we need to address is freedom from fear. Free us from fear. There we go. Now we're going to look for a moment at the mariners. We're going to take our, our eyes off of Jonah for a second. We'll come back to him. But the, the, there's other people on this boat. There's other people on this boat. The mariners, the, the ones who control and they guide the ship. Let's read about them. Then the mariners were afraid. Rightfully so, right? These are lost men. These are men with no hope. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. See, here we have a group of lost men being tossed around on a boat. These guys are riddled with fear. Anybody know anything about fear? Yeah, you know, you know about fear. This is the most fearful generation that's ever come in America. Everybody knows that. You're the statistic. That's you. You know fear. These guys are lost, but the way that they are reacting isn't much different from the way that Christians react when they're in trial. This, we do what they're doing here. That's what we do. Many of us aren't much different in our thought lives than the, than the lost world. And really, why should we be? We look at all the same stuff that the lost world does. We're obsessed with all the same things. 
We spend our money all the same ways. We follow the same exact Instagram feeds. We poison our minds with the same exact movies. We play their video games. We take their classes at university. You know what's really interesting about university? You know what the word university means? A place of unified education. There's no place on earth more divided than a college campus. People aren't unified. Pluralism reigns on a college campus. Everybody gets to have their own way. And it's funny that when we all got our own way, that we grew more fearful. It's funny how we got more anxious the more pluralistic and relativistic we we become. But the point is that this is a generation of fear. And we need to recognize that that's going to be our tendency. It only makes sense that we would have lustful, fearful, anxious, spiteful, jealous, and scary thoughts because we live like the world. We're Laodicean. See, there's no greater way to test the thought life of a Christian than to watch them in the midst of a storm. We talked about this before. When we get squeezed, what comes out? What comes out? See, many of us have serious problems with fear and anxiety. And when trials come, and the funny thing is, for some of you, the trial is simply just coming here for the retreat. (laughs) I mean, we get anxious and afraid of so many things. We're, We're easily scared. It's like the cartoons with the elephant and the mouse, right? Why is the elephant always afraid of the mouse in the cartoons? Is that like a real thing? Isn't that in Dumbo? I don't remember. Is that Dumbo? I don't care about that. I don't watch Disney. That's for the world. (laughs) But we get afraid of so many different things, and you know what you're afraid of, okay? But listen to me. When the trial comes, fear and dread for many of us are the natural response And it makes us desperate. It makes us desperate. And then we begin to do desperate things like the men on the ship. What do they do? Fear makes us do desperate things. They seek false security. That's the first thing they do. They seek false security. Emotional security is the first thing that they look for. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. The mariners are crying out to their false gods, praying that they would be delivered from their circumstances. These men may or may not have been religious. Isn't that the interesting thing about that? They're praying to their gods. These men may have never set foot in the temples of these gods. But in the moment of fear and trembling, they find a god. They find a god to pray to real quick. When things get dark, everyone gets spiritual. Now they worship false gods, though. Gods of wood. Gods of gods of gold. Gods of material. Their gods were gods of the gaps. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Their gods were the gods of the gaps. Superstitious reasons for things they couldn't explain. Superstitious reasons for things that they couldn't explain. Their gods were gods of convenience. Superstitious alliances for curing temporal needs. Are you hanging with me? I don't mean to be heady here, but but you hear what I'm saying here? They had gods to fit the temporal needs of their lives. Gods of fertility, gods of the sea, gods of travel, gods of... They had gods for every different thing. And their gods were superstitious alliances for curing temporal needs. Their gods were void. And what I mean by void is I mean vain. They were elemental. They were physical. And they were metaphorical. They were empty. But that didn't stop them from going to them when they needed comfort. And those things don't stop us. The fact that your God brings you, your gods, your tiny gods, your mini gods that you populate your life with, the ones of superstition, the fact that you populate your lives with those things, it does not change the fact Those things are completely void and vain and they can't help you one bit. Just because they're there and they make you feel secure for a moment, they're there as a bandage to your symptoms, 
your fearful symptoms, your moments of fear, your moments of dread, just because they're there and they offer you comfort in the moment, emotional comfort, it doesn't change the fact that they're empty and vain and void and they give you absolutely no reassurance. And yet we continue to go to them. Which gods do you go to when the storms come? Which gods do you personally go to when storms come? When, when, uh, who do you go to when you need security? Now, now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose a few options here. But you think about the ones that are true for you. Do you go to your lost friends when you need security? When you feel dread, when you feel afraid, do you go to your worldly friends for a moment of intimacy because they understand you best? Is that where you go? An old boyfriend or a girlfriend? I mean, a a lot of us find security. A lot of us who, who struggle with insecurity for a long time in our lives, we have a tendency to go to past sexual relationships in order to feel better about ourselves because we know that person is going to pay attention to us for a moment. Some of us, when we feel fear, uh, uh, feel fear and dread and insecurity and we're looking for comfort, we turn to uh, pornography. What do you turn to? I don't care if it's a good book. If it's not God, it's vain. We fill our lives with false forms of security when the only thing we need is God. Some of us, we seek false stability, physical methods. What's it say? And cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. What were they doing? What were they doing? They're convinced that they're running out of hope. So what they do is they take all of the precious things, the commodities and the possessions, and they throw them overboard with the hope that they might make the load of the boat lighter and more buoyant. Does that make sense, everybody? Like physically, can you picture that in your mind? There's a storm. You're afraid that the ship might break. It's getting heavy. Waves are crashing over the side. And people are taking their possessions, even the most important things in their lives, and they're heaving them over the side with the hope that they might survive by making the the boat more buoyant on the water. You guys familiar with the the story of of Euroclidon and and Acts uh, 27? They do the same thing there. They're freaking out. Remember, that's a great story. If you ever have a chance to go read it, Paul's like, yeah, we shouldn't go out there. No, we're not, we shouldn't go out there today. And they do anyway. Freaking idiots. That's like us too. And that's called desperation. Right? That's called desperation. You know, what are the things that are, are precious to you? Can you imagine throwing them over the side of the boat? Your very livelihood? While their prayers sought hope in false worship. Their activity, the things that they did, the things physically they did with their hands, sought hope in personal endeavor. And their ability, their personal ability to fix the situation or bring their own hope. They believed they could lighten their own burden, that their methods would produce the stability they needed to navigate the storm. Of course, the world does this through Self-help, through psychiatry, or if I go to a therapist, through exercise, I need to discipline myself and I need to get in the gym, and that'll make things better. That'll bring some stability to my life. If I begin working out and I focus on my body and becoming you know, holistic in my perspective of my physical body, through changing your wardrobe? Well, if I just change my identity a little bit, if I go out and I, if, if, if I do some late night Amazon shopping, it'll make me feel more stable. If I make some big decisions like that. Remodeling your home or apartment, 
choosing to eat vegan. You can snicker at that if you want. Divorcing your spouse. Having kids. Well, maybe if we have kids, things will stabilize. This is, how, this is seriously how people think. People think in a marriage, when the marriage isn't working out, and they don't feel secure, and they don't feel stable, that children will bring, bring st- stability into the marriage. And all they're doing is they're bringing children onto a, bro- a, a boat that's about to break. Getting a new job, taking antidepressants, political activism. We can go on and on and on and on. This is the equivalent of using physical methods to create stability and purpose in our life in the midst of storms. When things don't seem right, when things seem confusing, when things feel anxious, when I don't have a reason for living, let me make one. Or let me abandon this thing. Let me throw this off the boat. If I get rid of this, if I just get rid of this, or if I just add this thing in, or if I work hard in this way, we're going to make this happen. We're going to get things right. That's the way the world thinks. And Christian, you do that too. You do that too. You seek false stability. In the midst of God's stretching, in the midst of the storm, we seek stability by exercising a false sense of control. Addressing the physical and emotional issues and never touching the spiritual ones. Key point number one. That's right. Number one, as it concerns security and stability, key point number one, renovating the ship doesn't keep it from sinking. Worshiping the God that controls the sea does. Renovating the ship does not keep it from sinking. Worshiping the God that controls the sea does. Mark 4.39 And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a, a great calm And he said to them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? (laughs) You know who that is? That's my God. These mariners with Jonah wanted nothing more than to survive. And they were willing to make serious changes to see that hoping that if, that if they sacrificed the right objects overboard, it would be the answer to true peace in their storm. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, people often make desperate decisions to prevent another episode of depression or anxiety. They start making drastic decisions that imitate the act of setting themselves free. Did you catch that? They do things that imitate the act of setting themselves free. You guys familiar with this story in Luke 11? When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man. Remember this? Jesus is talking about this man who had a devil, had an evil spirit. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places and seeking rest. The spirit does. This evil spirit, it goes, right? And finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came. And when he cometh, check it out, he findeth it swept and garnished. 
His house being the body of the person that, that he was in. Catch what I'm saying here. This is the picture. The evil spirit comes out of a man. And the man begins doing self-help. The house is swept. It's garnished. His life is in order. He's done everything physical to imitate the idea of freedom. And it sustains him for a moment. And what does it say? When, the, when, the, when this devil, when this spirit sees, then, he go, then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Some of you live that way. Well, let me just do this thing. I'll figure it out. I'll get it under control. But what happens when the drinking overtakes you and you get lost? What happens when the pornography overtakes you and you get lost? What happens when that relationship that you thought would be good for you in the moment, you enter into it and you get lost there? That security and that stability that you thought you had, it's gone real quick. We want man-made solutions to spiritual problems, and it's impossible. Rather than fearing God, we fear our circumstances. Rather than laying hold of God, we lay hold of anything that creates the illusion of control. Rather than throwing ourselves down before God, we throw away anything that might rid us of our trial. Rather than embracing the trial, we try to mask it. What does renovation look like for you? Where do you go for stability and comfort? In times of anxiety, do you binge? Hours of Netflix, hours of video games, reliance on medications, working and making money, do you turn to alcohol? These false gods and false actions are born out of patterns of selfishness. You know, once upon a time when you weren't following God, you, you created false gods. Remember that? Bear with me for a second here. When you were a child, you were creating false gods. Did you know that? Before you were saved, when you were just a kid, you were creating false gods and false modes of stability. And what happens is, when the storm comes, your tendency is to go back to those gods and those controls and those methods that you established at 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, 18, 21. You'll go back to those things. There's nothing there. Key point number two. Mature Christians don't seek after security or stability. They don't do that. Christians don't do that. Well, why? Because they lay hold on the security and the stability that they already have. Why, why would you do that? All of the stability that you've ever needed, all of the emotional security you've ever needed can be found in Jesus Christ, the one who walks on the water in the midst of the storm. The one who speaks and calms all things. Who is this man? That the whole of creation would obey his very voice. I want to say his name, and I want to say it quietly. It is the most precious name. It is the most precious name to ever be uttered. Jesus. It's the name that most of the, of the world fears. It's the one name that they don't want you to bring up in your philosophy class. It's the one name that they don't want you to bring up in your art critique. It's the one name that they don't want to hear on the street when you're evangelizing and you're walking around and you're meeting people. It's the one thing they don't want to hear. And it's the most precious name on the face of the earth. Say it. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ. Our security. Our stability. Everything we ever needed. Psalm 62.2 says, He only is my rock. Supernatural. You see that? Psalm 62, 
He only is my rock and my salvation. Did you hear that? He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 1 Corinthians 10.13 There hath no temptation There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man but God is faithful who will suffer you to be tempted uh, not, to be, uh, not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. We are troubled on every side. 2 Corinthians 4.8 We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Is that true for you? Troubled on every side, but not distressed? I don't know. I don't know. Is that true for you? We are troubled on every side, yet not uh, distressed. We are perplexed. That means it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be confused, but listen, it's not okay to despair, but not in despair. Persecuted, sure, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Here's our key prayer for fear. This one's about fear. Set me free Oh God, hear me. Hear my, hear my prayer. Set me free from false gods and false methods. Set me free from those tendencies. When my true security and stability are found in you alone. Why even play that if you get a new truck, the things are going to be better for you? If you get a new job, why even play that game? You know where your hope is. Where's your hope? Where is your hope for tomorrow? I'm asking you, say it. Don't be, don't be afraid to say that name. It's the answer to every question. Next. You guys ready? Can I move on to one more point? Free us, free us from apathy. Free us from apathy. So all this is going on on the ship. The mariners are freaking out. They're worshiping their false gods. They're throwing stuff overboard. The, the ship's about to be broken in the midst of the sea. What's this dude doing? This is, for some of you, this is you. This is you. This is you. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was, was fast asleep. The dude was asleep. I was getting rained on last weekend, and I got no sleep. I mean, I'm in a tent, and there's water coming in, and I'm a baby, and I can't sleep. I'm freaking out. I'm cold. I'm like, God, why have you abandoned me? I'm going to die here. I'm not, the work isn't done, Lord. Get me through this weekend. I promise you, I'll pr I promise you, I'll serve you all the days of my life. <laughs> you know you've prayed that prayer before. S superstitious approach to Jesus. Don't play that game. But Jonah was gone down, and this dude is fast asleep in a ship that's about to be broken in half. That's just ridiculous. I, I, I don't even, I can't understand it. God sent forth this storm to do what? To stir Jonah's heart. The whole point of the storm is to stir this man up and draw him back to faith, and he's asleep. See, Jonah was apathetic and unmoved by God's attempt to bring him back into his will. 
What's the definition of apathy? Okay, write this down. Apathy is a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. It's a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Apathy is the failure to engage. This is the, this is the biblical definition. Apathy is the failure to engage truth through emotional disconnect. Okay? Apathy is our failure to engage truth because of emotional disconnect. Does that make sense? Do some of you relate to apathy? See, many of us react and we freeze in our faith and shut down when the stretching comes. You know who you are. You know who you are. When the stretching comes, when the storm comes, you go silent. No one will notice. No one will notice if I just take a little nap right here. No one will, no one will notice if I don't act concerned. I'm gonna, I'm, and then what happens is you begin, you slowly you disconnect your emotions. And with the things that brought you passion and brought you purpose and brought you excitement. You know, that was Jonah once, right? You know, once upon a time, he was really excited about prophesying for God. We looked at that in Kings, didn't we? He had, a, he had a good prophecy that he was excited about. He wanted to go and he wanted to prophesy that because that was exciting. And it, it aligned itself with his worldview. It, it aligned itself with his path of growth. But listen to me. When God does something in your life that forces you outside of what you expect, some of you have a tendency to freeze up and keep God at an emotional arm's length. It's a posture that communicates to God and to those around you, I don't care. You think people can't see it, but people can. You think people can't see it, but they can see it. They see it on you. See, the issue with apathy is that a lot of times you actually do care. Am I right? People who struggle with apathy? You actually, you do care, but because you've determined you don't like the potential outcomes or the pain that comes with agreeing with God and embracing his will, shutting down seems like the most reasonable and sometimes the last-ditch effort. Should I say that again? The issue with apathy is that a lot of you, you actually do care, but because you've determined you don't like the potential outcomes or the pain that, com that comes with agreeing with God's will, Shutting down seems like the last and maybe only option for you. Apathy produces lukewarm or indifferent feelings towards Jesus. Apathy produces spiritual sleepiness. First Thessalonians 5.5 5, Ye are the children of light. And the children of the day, ye are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others. But let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken, are drunken in the night. See, sleep is not an option for someone who lives in the light of salvation. Passionate pursuit is the outcome of knowing God. See, our apathy will disrupt our zeal. Because you do care. You do want to follow God. I just don't want to do it that way. And so I'll put on the fake smile and I'll come to church on Sunday, I'll go to Bible study, I'll go through the motions and no one will know, no one will know that I'm apathetic, that I'm growing distant from God, that I'm actually asleep in the middle of the light, in the middle of the day. No one will know. Give it six months. And you'll be on a boat to Tarshish too. Give it a little time, you'll be gone. And you'll have failed a lot of people along the way. Our apathy will disrupt our zeal, the fire that we once felt, and cause us to grow into a place of stagnancy and eventually escape. For those of you who know 
that in hard times you shut down, you freeze, you disconnect, you pretend, you muffle your ears. You need to pray for help. And this is the prayer. Set me free from my apathy and indifference. Be my lighthouse in the storm. Be my lighthouse in the storm. And what do I mean by that? You know what? Uh, I don't know much about ships and boats, oceans. I grew up in the Midwest. I'm a no-coaster. Okay? I like that term even. There's great value in not being near the ocean. You ever watch Shark Week? But I've, I've seen movies. I've seen the movies. And when the fog sets in, when the fog of apathy settles in on the bay, it's hard to know the landscape. And that's how boats crash. And when you let the fog of your apathy come in, the only thing that will deliver you from that is the lighthouse on the rock. is a burning torch up high for all to see. And if you start feeling apathy, you feel apathy towards your Bible study leader, you don't like a decision that was made. Maybe you feel it towards me, I don't know. You don't like the direction of this or that, or someone said something wrong to you. Some of you are set into a, a path of apathy because how someone treated you. In ministry, well, they should have known better than to act that way. And so I'm going to slowly let the fog drift in. The only way out of that is to look to the light, to anchor to the rock. Worship team, come on up. As we, as we close, um, I want you to continue to ask yourself the hard questions. As we go into a season of worship, just like last night, if you need prayer, let's pray. You know who knows you really well are the people in your Bible study. The people in your Bible study know you really well, and, and, and they know your struggles, even if you think you've hidden them pretty well. And what you need to do is grab your sisters or grab your brothers and come together and agree together that you're going to have real accountability as it concerns these areas of your life. And that you guys are together going to practice security and stability in Christ. That you're not going to fall prey to old forms of control or old forms of security Old forms of stability, you know those don't work anymore. You know that now. You're you're fully aware those aren't going to work. Some of you, the last few months, you've been cycling through those things. And you know they don't work. You've been experiencing the pain and the cycle of sin. And you know they don't work. Okay, so here's the moment. Turn to the lighthouse they hold on the rock. Right now. As I pray, go grab the people you need to grab. For those of you who need to worship, worship. For those of you who need to sit quietly before the Lord and confess. Let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you above all things. Jesus. A name above all names. By your very name, devils flee and they cower. is the words of your mouth that commanded all creation into being. Everything that you are is everything that I need. And I resolve that afresh right now. I live in a world where freedom abounds. And I have the liberty to make decisions every moment that fulfill the needs of my flesh. And I denounce those before you now. 
Knowing, God, God, knowing that nothing is greater, no solution is greater, no security is greater, no stabilizer is greater than your very name. You belong to me. You're you're mine. And I... And I know that you died for me. And you, you saw me. And I believe that. And I believe that you see me now. In the midst of my storm, I see, I see that, I know that you see me and that your eyes and your gaze are upon me and that your hand is extended and that you're inviting me into the secure and stable and clear relationship, the flame, the presence, the knowledge, the words of truth, you're inviting me into that place. I need it. I need it. We need it. Kaya needs it. If we, will, if we are going to be effective missionaries in the world, the one thing we can never forget is you and you alone for all things. It's anything, anything. You and you alone, I am resolved. I remember, and I am resolved. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.